um, some of the the words that the Spirit of God had given Nate Sunday, he handed them to me. I went back and sat at my desk, and one of them was on focus. So I know out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. But focus means to fix or settle on one thing. Everyone say one thing. It means to concentrate. Psalm 27.4, David said, One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Then in Luke 10.41, Jesus said, Martha, Martha. You know, if he says your name twice, you're in trouble. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Colossians 1.18 says that in all things he may have the preeminence. And the one translation says so that he is first in everything. Matthew 6.33, but seek what? First, the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added on to you. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. This is the year to set our mind on things above. Amen. So I'm going to play this. Um, if you want to take notes, you can. I did make some, write some of his statements down that I'll reiterate at the end, but I think this will minister to you. Billy and I looked at each other and we said, it is now unstoppable. See, if you're not all in, you miss the subtle signs of God's working because he doesn't just always come and just show himself boldly and strongly sometimes it's in an infant that everybody else in the city didn't see but these two they looked and they saw the salvation of Israel here's what I want to do I'm gonna, I want to talk to you about uh, one of my most favorite parts of the Christmas story I, this has actually been on my mind for a couple weeks and uh, Sometimes I don't have that kind of clarity in a direction uh, very far in advance. But this has really been in my, in my heart, on my mind for, for weeks. And I'm, I'm going to talk to you about a part of the story. It's in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about Anna and Simeon. Those are two sometimes unsung heroes of this incredible Christmas story. But there's something about their story that really rocks my world. I, I, I don't talk about it often, but you know how you, you have, we all have history with God in the Word. And there are certain things that I, they're, they're kind of like, uh, like on a compass, we have due north. There are certain things that, you, that the Lord has shown you in here, stories and examples, teachings, whatever, that they are, they're kind of like due north. They're a reference point that you use to measure your own response to your life. And... Um, uh, sometimes we sanitize the story because they're in Scripture, and we we rob ourselves of the of the wonder and the adventure of what it would have been like to be in, in their shoes, and to be in the shoes of Anna and Simeon. And we'll, we'll go over the story in just a moment. But I, I need to set the stage. I, I need to create a context, and it's, it, it'll sound a little strange to you to set it in the way I'm going to. But hopefully, by the time I'm through, um, it'll make sense. And if it doesn't, it's still the Bible. And it's good. All right. Here's what I want to do. I want to read uh, out of uh, the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to read out of the sixth chapter. 
And this is a verse that I actually make reference to, you know, uh, probably a couple times a year um, and have for quite a while uh, because it, it rocked me so deeply when I, when I saw what the Lord was saying. The context uh, in the Sermon on the Mount has to do with our, our, uh, our response to money. Let, let me make this, this, this statement. Fear, worry, anxiety, that whole uh, theme of emotions is released at our lives to distract us from our purpose and eventually reestablish our affection on something that's inferior. Fear, anxiety, worry, all those things are, are the enemy's attempt to distract me and then once I'm distracted, to re-engage my affection on something that's inferior. But so is greed, lust. It's the other side of the same problem. Uh, Jesus deals with the whole thing of lust and greed here in uh, Sermon on the Mount quite heavily. And in this portion, he talks about where your heart is, your tre- your, where, your, where your treasure is, or where your heart be also. And he's not talking against money. He's talking about heart. He's talking about the focus of our heart. So uh, fear is as wrong as greed. Greed is as wrong as fear. And the reason is because both of them are attempts to distract or pull away my focus, my attention on the one thing I'm called to. And if the enemy can't get me to... to um, to accept something, let's just go raw immoral. If he can't get me to accept something to shift from being moral to immoral, if he can't do that, then what he'll at least try to do is add to my moral conviction too many issues in life so that I spread myself so thin I'm ineffective. And then his desire is to pull me to defend my position outside of the spirit of Christ. Abortion is wrong. It's wrong. It's, it's as wrong as the sacrificing of children to Moloch in the Old Testament. It's just simply wrong. There's nothing about it that's right. And the enemy cannot get me off that bandwagon, so to speak. So what does he try to do? He tries to get me to operate in soulish flesh, carnality, accusation, bitterness, all those other things to defend my position on abortion. Does that make sense to you? In other words, he can't get me to compromise my value. So what he tries to do is to get me to overextend my value to where I operate outside of the spirit of Christ. These issues of distraction are huge. And right now we have more distractions than we've ever had in our life. And let me just tell you, I'm in the middle. I feel the distraction. I'm not just talking about the obvious things, the political stuff, the the racial stuff, the economic stuff. You know, we we can just add a big list. I'm talking about the nature of our culture in our country where, where we are inundated with the opinions of other people. Oh, goodness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to in, jump into a, a, a deep hole that I can't climb out of, and I, do, I don't want to do that. And I, I actually like social media. I, I'm, I do. I like, I, like, I like the fact I can go on Instagram, I can look up fly fishing pictures and find them. 
It's, it's like the magazines I used to buy. You know, I can look up deer hunting. I can look up fountain pens. I can look up anything. Hot sauce, they're all in, in here. I, I look at them. I have a good time. I say, oh, that hot sauce looks good, and I will order it. And I can do it in just a heartbeat. I love that. This is just Christian recreation in, in my concern. But here's the problem is we are often measured by likes. How many people like? What are we creating? Creating a system where we look for approval of other people to make our decisions. It's subtle, but it's there. And we have a generation that's being weaned on that value system. So I, 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 I don't want to go there anymore. I'm done with social media talk for this morning. Actually, it could creep up again, but I'll try not to. All right, let's, let's get to the scripture here, because I, I want to talk to you about this. I'm going to take one verse, and I just try to uh, emphasize the fact it's in the context of money, all right? The principle, oftentimes Jesus will reveal a principle that he applies to a subject, but the principle is applicable across the board. It is What I just said was very important and true. All right, verse 22 of Matthew chapter 6. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. This, this deserves much more attention than I'm going to give here because I actually want to take you into the Christmas story and show you something that, that I hope will encourage you. I hope will, will uh, add fuel to what God's called us to be and to do. But look at this again. One of the translations says, uh, if your eye is single. Another one says, if your eye is clean. The word there for good is actually two words. It's the word alpha, and then it's a word that means voyage. Alpha would be uh, alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the number one and the eternal, e eternal future. That's, that's the Lord. So here's, here's what I want you to look at. This is a very interesting word. It says, if your eye is good. Let's break it down in this way. Two words. Number one is the word single or one. And the second word is voyage. If your eye is set on one voyage, the one thing, your entire body will be full of light. This is important. We don't have time for it now, but I do think there's something in this verse that, is, that will connect us to divine health. I think being diversified outside of where God has called us actually affects us emotionally it affects us in, in areas of greed and lust. It affects us in areas of fear and anxiety. And all those things war at the affections of the soul that are supposed to be anchored in the Lord himself. All of these things war against our focus and our devotion to the one thing. They are subtle, but the end result is a people who over time diversify their affection from the Lord to the many other things. And it may even be in Jesus' name. All right. If the body, if the lamp of the body, the lamp of the body is the eye, if therefore your eye is set on one voyage, this one thing I have desired, the scripture says, this one thing, to see him, 
to be in his temple forever, to be one who glorifies him, this one thing I have desired. The song of the redeemed is this one thing I have desired. It's critical to fuel that one fire in my soul so much so that nothing else matters. Everything else is attended to through that one theme. I don't have a confusing life of serving God and serving the city and serving you and serving my family and serving. I have one thing, Him. And in that affection and adoration, an absolute passion for Him, I become more fully equipped as a husband more fully equipped as a dad, as a grandpa, as a pastor, whatever other label we, we share. The point is, it is the one thing. One of my heroes in scriptures, Solomon, and uh, I'm, I'm moved by the fact, we studied this some years ago, but I'm moved by the fact that here as a young man, he becomes king. <clears throat> and he goes to bed at night and he sleeps and he has this dream. Now, dreams are extremely subjective. I've had people that were opposed to the revival have a dream. I believe they had a dream. But our dreams are often shaped by our own values. We sow into our dream life. We contribute to our dreams. What happened with Solomon is he was so overwhelmingly aware of his need for God that that's how he went to bed. This, he says in Song of Psalms, he says, he says, though I sleep, yet my heart is awake. In other words, he would come into this place where he would rest, but it would be before the Lord. And he had this ongoing passion. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm reading into the story, but I, I believe I have reason to. I don't know what I'm doing. I need God's input to be a successful and godly king. He goes to sleep. God appears to him in a dream and has a dialogue. Now, this, this is profound to me. God talks with Solomon while Solomon is sleeping, and, and Solomon responds. So much so that God trusts Solomon to make a decision. He says, what's, what's the one thing you want? He says, more than anything, I, I want to, to have wisdom. I want to be able to lead your people well. And God says, because you've asked for that and that long life and fame and money and all these other things, you get it all. What's the point? The point is, is that in his sleep, his agendas were set aside so much that he could trust the dream that he had and God could trust him to make a godly decision. He made a decision that shaped the course of history in his sleep. In his sleep. That's, that's being focused. Not focused anxiously. Focused in, this is why I'm alive. Now, go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 in uh, verse 25 is where we'll start. We're going to read quite a few verses, so please have your Bibles in front of you and uh, follow along. Verse 25, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. This is an extraordinary prayer. He's playing in the temple because he's prophesying in his prayer that this infant, this child, is what will bring hope, rest, restore Israel, and will bring light and salvation to the Gentiles. He said... Um, and the glory, excuse me, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to, his, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. It's not the first sign to be spoken against. Just because you experience a miracle and people criticize you for it doesn't mean you're not biblical. You're actually right in the middle of Scripture. Sometimes you experience something that God does and the critics mount up against you. Welcome to the family of God. Let me read that again just in case you missed it. And it'll be for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. And then there's one more. We'll do uh, three, three more verses. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of, however you say that name, the tribe of Asher, who was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Now some say she was 84 years at this point. Others say this actually indicates that she was a widow for 84 years after marriage, which would make her over 100 years old. Uh, she did not depart from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayer night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all who looked for the redemption of Israel. All right, here's, here's the deal I want to talk to you about. Simeon and Anna, I, I think, I mean, I can't prove this, just an opinion, but I think are two of the most honored people in heaven. They lived in a time without the prophets. They lived in a time without the thundering displays of God's power. And yet they lived for one thing. Anna says she never left the temple. I don't know if people brought food to her. I don't know how that works. But the point is she was extremely devoted to one thing, which was what? That Israel would have a redeemer. That Israel would have vindication and restoration. That salvation would come to her people. She lived for that one thing. She got married. She was married for seven years. Her husband died. She's a widow. She spends the rest of her life serving God at the temple with fastings and prayer. Simeon, his entire life, he was a friend of God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
They weren't born again yet, so the Holy Spirit didn't live inside, but lived upon him, rested upon him. He was a prophet in a sense that he could see. He heard the word of the Lord. He had that, he had that promise given to him that he would see the consolation of Israel. He would see the Redeemer. He would see the Vindicator. He would see the Deliverer. The point that I have in this message uh, today is really, it's really only one. The more focused you are on why you're alive, the less it takes to encourage you. The more focused, the more all in for one thing, the less it takes to encourage you. I read a, a story, I, I read a very interesting article some years ago. I, I've not wanted to talk about it only because I, I hate war so much, but... Uh, um, I read this very interesting article about, and I believe it was by, a sniper in the military. And they are an, an unusual breed of people. I don't know how many of you have ever, ever read about them. And if I can just put aside the moral issues of war and all, I, I'm just glad I'm not a national leader that has to make that decision. But I, I, I admired so much what this gentleman wrote. Picture this. Uh, a sniper, they have all this sometimes <laughs> plant life and everything hooked to his body. There are times where they will actually take several days to crawl from here to there because none of their movements can be noticed. They do everything physically in their clothing. They are times were on an anthill and they're being bitten by these ants. And they are so focused on their assignment, they show no pain and they make no noticeable movement. And what the guy said, he says, in this place, you are so focused that you notice when a blade of grass is different. There's something about focus. There's something about purpose. There's something about refining what is going to excite me. Refining what I'm going to feed my soul on. Refining my understanding, my conscious awareness of why I am on planet Earth. I get to be a grandpa. I get to be a dad. I'm, I love being a husband. All these things. I get to be with you guys. I love this, this part of life. But all of these are expressions of why I'm alive. I am alive to represent Jesus and to bring him glory. I'm alive. I live. I live for that. Anything that doesn't fit into that assignment, it may be good, it may be moral, it may be upright. But it's there to divert attention and eventually to draw away my affection. You see, the anointing is actually released through affection. When we diversify all the things, you know, the getting, keeping 20 plates spinning on a stick, you know, that picture of, of the complicated Christian life. I, I believe in being involved in a lot of stuff, but it has to all fit under one thing, one thing. 
How is it you can be so focused as a man? Picture yourself as a guy who intercedes, who prays for the nation of Israel, who prays for the nations of the world, who prays for the Messiah to come. And one day in your prayer, the Lord shows up and he says, before you die, you will see this great deliverer. Before you die, you will see the mighty one who comes to save. Why is he alive? The one thing. And it says the spirit of the Lord moved him, directed him to go to the temple. He went to the temple and he saw an infant. He saw an infant. He didn't see a mighty deliverer. He didn't see a man with a sword. He didn't see a man with an army. He didn't see somebody with a great pedigree and great wealth. He saw an infant, a baby. Yes, eternally God. But he saw in the baby the deliverance of Israel and salvation of Gentiles. He saw it in the baby. He saw it in the child. See, when you live for one thing, it doesn't take a lot to encourage you because you notice the movement of that blade of grass. You notice the slight little indication. Oh, that neighbor I've been talking to, they warmed up just a little bit today. That I, I didn't get the raise yet, but I, I can tell something is happening because there's more business at work. It's, it's just the little things. It's the, fact that, it's the fact that we live for one thing. And when you do, you're constantly filled with encouragement because God is doing all kinds of, bringing all kinds of babies, seed of the thing you've been praying for. The seed of what you've been praying for. And I look at this and Anna and Simeon both and they, they both moved me so much because they, they recognized the king of glory was there in an infant that couldn't do a thing. Couldn't do anything. They, they saw. See, this is what we need right now because we're, we're in the middle of swirling stuff. We need people that just just dial down, why am I alive? Why am I where I am in this season? Why am I here? And we lean into the one thing, and all of a sudden we get this little word of encouragement. We see this testimony over here. We see these things happen around us that are just indicators of a much bigger deliverance, a much bigger thing that God is doing. And right now, we need encouragement in our lives, maybe more than any other season of our life. And it's foolish to live within reach of a feast of encouragement and not apprehend it, not take hold of it. It's foolish to live this far away from the ultimate internal strength of faith, of focus, of living with divine purpose. It's foolish to be this far away from it and not take hold of it. And I'd like to suggest that the Lord is releasing an Anna and Simeon anointing. It's, it's, the, it's the Matthew 6 anointing. It's the eye, the eye that has settled on one journey. 
the reason my whole body is full of light, the reason my entire life is under the visible manifestation of the glory of God is because I have determined I am alive for one thing. I'm alive for one reason. And that one reason, God has illuminated everything in my life. I think often of uh, Elijah and his uh, his deal when he was praying for rain. It's interesting because he prophesied the drought. You know, sometimes you cause something by the hand of the Lord on you that's supposed to come to an end. And he knew it. But he also knew there was some sort of intercessory role that he had. He just didn't assume it's just going to happen. It's, uh, it, it's, it's irresponsible to not take responsibility. There are just moments where it's, it's, it's upon us to know God is about to do something, but I'm going to take my place before him. You know, if ever there was an example of that, it would have to be with the coming of the Messiah. Let's be honest. If there's anything God can pull off on his own without any of our assistance or help, it's the fact that Jesus would come to earth. And yet it was the Spirit of God upon Anna and Simeon to stir them to intercessory prayers. Why? He wanted them to be a part of the process. What's happening today? See, we, we, we scrub these stories so clean we lose the wonder of the moment, the mystery of the moment. We sanitize these things. And yet they're, they're, they're living day after day after day. Hannah for 60 years cries, prayers, intercessions, fasting. How long do I need to fast? And then one day was the day and she saw the Christ child. Elijah prophesied though the drought, and it was time for the drought to end, and he, he knew it. But he didn't just assume it would happen. He prayed for it to happen. And he sent his servant while he put his head between his knees, and he just interceded, he prayed. Sometimes, sometimes powerful prayer is not pretty. There's nothing, there's nothing appealing about it. There's nothing appealing about it. Sometimes the groanings, the weepings, the declarations, the snotty nose. The, it's just not, it's not pretty. Those things aren't to be flaunted as some sign. They're just, you know, they just happen. They happen when, you, when you're gripped in your soul for something that's got to be birthed into the earth that is not yet here. It must be, it must be, it must be. It's not for show. It's not for anything but the friend of God is making history with God. And that was Elijah. He's, he's there. He's got his head between his knees. He's praying. He, can't, he doesn't want to look. He tells his servant, what's the sky like? He's praying for rain. He said, there's no clouds. He said, all right. He keeps praying. Sometimes you just don't want to look at the absence of an answer. It'll, it'll affect your praying. 
so too many people measure the lack of an answer, the lack of breakthrough. I've prayed a hundred times for this, and this never happened. Stop it. Stop it. Stop measuring. Stop measuring your prayer life by what hasn't happened. Stop it. He wouldn't even look himself. This is the, what's it like now? Six times in a row. Finally, the seventh time he says, Well, there's a cloud, but it's the size of a man's hand. Elijah says, Let's run. It's about to rain. And that's the moment the red hears. Anna and Simeon saw the cloud the size of a man's hand. They saw the seed of God in a child that was about to shape and change the course of world history. Run. It's time to take cover. I've told you the story before, I, th I think. When Benny and I first came here, this part of the stage wasn't there. It was just stairs. One of the first Sunday nights, we invited everyone to the front. So there's hundreds of people all along the front. And uh, we had just gotten here. And Benny and I were standing right about third step or so right here. And we just talked, encouraged everybody for what we believed God was doing and about to do. And we invited the Holy Spirit to come, that simple prayer. And the Holy Spirit came. He came in power. He fell powerfully on one person. One person right in front of us right here. I don't know what everyone's thinking. It may be they were amused. It may be they were being touched by God in a more subtle way. I, I, I don't know. I didn't ask. But all, all I know is the power fell on one. Yeah. Right there. Right there. And Benny and I looked at each other. And we said, we've got it. It is now unstoppable. It's now unstoppable. See, if you're not all in, you miss the seeds. You miss the subtle signs of God's working. Because he doesn't just always come and just show himself boldly and strongly. Sometimes it's in an infant that everybody else in the city didn't see except as a baby. Everyone else. But these two, they looked and they saw the salvation of Israel. They saw it in seed form. Because they're all in. The best way to be encouraged is to be all in. All in. Because then you'll see, you'll hear the subtle, subtle anointing of God on the lyrics of a song as you walk into a restaurant. The subtle, the subtle storyline behind a TV show that you realize there's something prophetic in that storyline. It's just when you're leaning, when you're all in, I don't mean you, in, you interpret every number and everything that happens. It just means God speaks. Why? Because he has a listener. He has somebody who's all in. He's got somebody who has one reason for being alive, a single voyage. Therefore, everything about them will be under the influence of the light of God. The gestation period is soon coming to an end, a conclusion, and there will be a birthing of something very powerful and very new in the earth, but specifically in you and in me. And I believe the Lord is wooing us into the one thing. Simplify the one thing. God, forgive me everywhere I've been distracted. I've allowed, I've voluntarily 
submitted myself to distractions that have war, warred over my heart, fought over my heart to redirect affections and values and attention. Heal us as a people, God. Heal us as a people that come out of this season simplified, refined, focused, and madly in love. I ask that in Jesus' name. I sense that there are some, I felt it earlier this morning, that there's somebody who has issues in the actual... Lights, please. Focus means to fix or settle on one thing. One thing. I wrote some of his statements down. I'm just going to reiterate them. He says, if you're not all in, you lose the subtle signs of God working. He says, fear and anxiety distracts us from our purpose. Fear is as wrong as greed. Both of them are attempts to pull us away from what we should be focused on. If the enemy can't get you to do something immorally, this is so good, he will get you to spread yourself too thin so you'll be ineffective. In other words, you can behind, be behind Patriots United, but you can act like a horse's patoot at a meeting because you're so offended, you're so distracted, you're so caught up with it. What kind of example is that? Do you see where he's going with this? He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Your eye is set on one voyage. I thought that was good. He says, the more focused you are while you are alive, the less it takes to encourage you. Everything in my life must fit under one thing. Then I said, when I spoke earlier, I said, he said, stop measuring your prayer life by what hasn't happened. Too many people do that. Well, it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. What's wrong? What's wrong? Maybe nothing's wrong. If you're not all in, you miss the subtle signs of God working. Anna and Simeon saw the salvation of Israel in seed form because they were all in. God forgive me for being distracted by the things that have redirected my affections. This is a year we we need to be all in. See, one thing, as, as a pastor, my one thing is I need to develop gifts and leaders. If you go to this church, then you need to find where you function and function in your gift and be all in and not be distracted by a hundred different things. Does that make sense to you? You're awful quiet. Did you get anything tonight? Amen. Let's stand up. <clears throat> I took these um, words that, that the Spirit of God had spoken to Nate, and, and this was given to him on December 24th last year. It's on focus. It was Sunday morning at 7.30 a.m. He says, I asked God what specific thing he wanted me to focus on this upcoming year. He told me just that, focus. Focus on being focused on me, on my word and my will. So many voices are going to be speaking and and you are to only listen to my word. You need to be focused this year. He says, I believe this year is a year of focus. 
a special focus on the Word of God. God is going to, through His Word, be attacking this identity crisis this year. So many people, especially the body of Christ, don't have a clue who they are or who they were created to be. Honestly, Satan doesn't care if people read their Bible. He himself has every translation translation memorized cover to cover. What he cares about is... If they start acting on the Word of God, that's faith. God is dealing with the identity crisis, and I firmly believe that is going to be a major focus this year, finding out who we are in the body of Christ. We need to be focused and stay focused on the Word in 2024. God wants us to diligently seek Him by seeking His Word so we can know Him, and only in knowing Him can we know who we are and who we were created to be. We can never know who we are unless we know who He is. Then we start understanding our authority in this life. Amen. So, I think it's a good thing to start out the year with a word like this. Now, go ahead. The last few days in the devotional, if you've been reading those, they're all right in line with that. Go back... And read them over and over. Amen. Let's lift our hands to God tonight. Holy Spirit, Spirit of grace. We desire individually and corporately as a church body to focus on the one thing. Forgive us for getting into the flesh being distracted by other things. But like Mary, make that quality decision to follow after what's vital, what's important, and that's relationship. That's sitting at the feet of Jesus this year. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead and guide us in the days ahead. When we get off and we're not being sensitive to those subtle seeds and those subtle signs, speak to us. Now, Father, I ask, as I heard the man of God say, I believe it. Lord God, we desire that Anna and Simeon anointing. So, Lord, by faith... We receive it tonight. Oh, Father, we want to see this mighty outpouring of your Spirit in the days ahead and experience it. Not from the sidelines, but right in the midst of what's going on. So, Lord, we purpose to set our affections on things above in 2024 and not be distracted by other things that have no value. We thank you, Father, for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's a good word for all of us. Amen. I might have to remind you of that sometime. Amen. Especially if you're a leader. Amen. Anything else? Donut Sunday. We've always already heard that. No, I haven't ordered them yet. I better focus on that. Yes, okay. Thank you, everybody. As ghost as a fire, a holy flame 